Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Josh, the pastor here. It's great to be with you if you're visiting. Special welcome. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. We've got some first-time fathers, right? First-time fathers? Yeah, Brandon. Are you first-time father, Zach? This, yeah, this is your first Father's Day. Uh, so fun to celebrate fatherhood. Uh, fatherhood's a really beautiful thing. We're going to take a little bit of time uh, to look on it, uh, to look at it according to Scripture. Uh, yesterday, uh, Zach introduced me to Bird's Meat Market. I took Johnny, and uh, we, we went there together, and uh, it was a long line because it was Saturday, and so I went to the restroom. Uh, I took Johnny with me, and they're not going for hospitality at Bird's Meat Market. I don't know if you've been there. Like, the toilet didn't even have a seat on it <laughs> or whatever, and so we're in this not-so-great bathroom. I, I got Johnny just trying to keep him away from anything too gross while I'm going to the restroom, and uh, they decided to put the light switch low enough so that Johnny could reach it. Johnny is my one-and-a-half-year-old son. So he hits the light switch, and I'm going to the bathroom in pitch black, and, of course, he gets scared and waves his arms, and then he hits the hand dryer. So now we're in the, bl- in, the, in the dark, and the hand dryer is blowing really loud, and Johnny doesn't know what a hand dryer is. And you, know, it's not, you can't exactly like, you know, help that when you're in the state that I was in. And, uh, and so anyways, we, 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 we got through it. Johnny will you know, get some counseling when he grows up, and it'll, you know, it'll be okay. But I, I share that story, uh, one, to laugh at my you know, JV dad skills, and two, um, just to, to acknowledge that um, uh, a helpful way to think about fathers, especially on, on Father's Day, where there can be lots of really sweet memories, but also a lot of hard memories, uh, or maybe no memories, uh, depending on how your story is. Maybe your, your father wasn't around for whatever reason and stuff, is that all dads do, do the best they can. You know, the, as we look at fatherhood, we look at the fatherhood of God and, and how we as humans can emulate that. Uh, we want to do it from a place of grace, do it from a place of forgiveness, um, that in, in the true fatherhood of God, there's healing, uh, and, there, and there's the possibility of, uh, of forgiveness. Uh, but I, I do want us to see that, that ultimately, whatever, what, whatever father we were given, who, whichever father we were given, uh, it, he probably left some gaps uh, because he's not God, because he wasn't, wasn't perfect. And all of, all of us new young fathers, we're going to leave lots of gaps ourselves, and so uh, seeing God as the one true Father, I think, is the is the way forward. And specifically, we're going to look at the reality of uh, fatherly blessing. We're going to get an inside look at, at the inner workings of of, of the Trinity here uh, today. And I want us to just kind of dial into the reality of fatherly blessing as we see it uh, in Scripture and see it within the Trinity, and also and ultimately how we can we can live it out. So. Uh, let's look uh, at our sermon text. Uh, flip in your Bibles to Matthew 3. Uh, it's page 1499 if you're in the Pew Bible. 1499 in the Pew Bible, Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, a little bit of backstory. Jesus uh, came, was born as a baby uh, from a, in, in flesh and blood, and he was fully God and he was fully man. Uh, and then he lived uh, just a, a pretty normal life uh, in a nowhere town. Uh, born in a manger, and then he spent some time as a refugee running for his life. He spent some time in Egypt, and then he moved back to Israel with his family as a young boy uh, and to a, no, a, a different nowhere town uh, called Nazareth, where he was probably uh, just a carpenter like his earthly father was and lived in obscurity uh, working in Nazareth uh, until he was 30 years old. And that brings us to this point in, in Jesus' life. Let me read verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him 
I am well pleased. So here he is at 30. He gets baptized publicly. There's a crowd around, John the Baptist here, and we have uh, this blessing spoken over him. The supernatural voice comes from heaven. We see the spirit descend like a dove, and it's this three-part blessing. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here we see God the Father looking at Jesus, his son, his only begotten son, before he's preached any sermons, before he's healed anybody, uh, done any miracles, before he did his showdown with the devil in the desert, with fight, overcoming temptation, uh, before he argued with the Pharisees, before he died on the cross for the redemption of the whole world. Uh, to the world's eyes, he was just a normal guy from Nazareth. And the God of the universe looked at him and publicly said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you, can you see just how intimate, like the, the real relationship a relational reality of the Trinity. I mean, if you've been in church a while, if you are into doctrine at all, you know, this idea of the Trinity is something that they cover pretty early in doctrine classes. And, you know, it's like God exists as one God and three distinct persons in perfect unity from eternity past to eternity present. Yes and amen to the, those doctrinal facts. But here we see that it's actually like a relationship. When we say that God is three in one, those, those three persons in the Trinity actually have this intimate relationship. We see the Spirit come as the presence of God rests on Jesus, and there's a verbal blessing over Jesus. We have God blessing him as a, as a father. Can you see the, the power of words, public words spoken from a father to a son in front of a lot of people? And one of the uh, one of the, the patterns we see in Scripture when it comes to blessing is that all blessing starts with God the Father, it extends to other people, and then those people then become empowered to pass that on to others. And as we look at Jesus, as we've been going through Matthew for a long time now and seeking to follow him, I want us to just take a hot second and look at how Jesus received this blessing, went out into the world doing all kinds of things, and ultimately passed on that blessing. Uh, so if you want to follow along, flip in your Bibles over to Mark 10. Mark 10, Jesus is in the thick of his ministry, lots of demand, lots of people needing him, lots of debate and controversy. And it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have, this is verse 13, uh, to have him touch, touch them. But, when the, but the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Verse 16, and he took the children in his arms. He put his hands on them and blessed them. Behold our king, friends. See, our king Jesus, uh, ruler, uh, ruler of rulers, taking little children and holding them and blessing them, which is a beautiful picture by itself. Uh, but we live in a culture where we, you know, we really like romanticize and idealize kids, you know, not, not necessarily to a fault. Like I love kids. I get all, you know, teary eyed about, about my kids. But in this culture, it, it would have been even more remarkable because kids were kind of like, you know, seen, not heard, like kind of not, not a huge priority until they could actually contribute to the, to the family line. So we see Jesus's uh, just mercy and tenderness towards kids as he holds them and he blesses them. 
fatherly blessing in the Bible. It starts with God. It moves on to Jesus. He passes it on uh, to us, and then we can join him in it. And before, we're going to get practical today, so I just want to take a little bit of time here at the beginning and look at the, the breadth of Scripture and see that this is, this is something that Scripture calls us to. It's something that we have a part uh, to play in. Uh, so flip over to James chapter 3. As we look at the reality of fatherly blessing, I want us to see that our words have incredible power. The words that we say with our actual like mouth and lips and lungs and air and breath have incredible power. You flip over to James chapter 3, 1883 in the Pew Bible. Look at verses uh, 1 through 6. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ooh. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven, uh, driven by so strong winds, they are steered by very, a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself on fire by hell. Jeez. And skip to verse 10. Or, I'm sorry, verse 9. Uh, with the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. The point of that text, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, uh, is that words have incredible power. Scripture is giving us a stern warning that to, to watch your mouth, to check yourself before you wreck yourself with your mouth, because it has incredible power. Even our words for just normal you and me. Uh, it's just, you know, we're not God, we're not in the Bible, we're not Jesus, all these things. But scripture is saying our words have incredible power to bless and to curse. And theologically, this power of words should make sense because it was through words that God created everything that exists. We believe that God spoke with words everything into existence that, that exists. And Jesus Christ. The king who has come into the world is revealed to us in scripture as the word made flesh. Words have incredible power. And so today, because it's Father's Day, I want to take a little time to talk to the dads uh, in the room. Uh, because there's a, a special role, I think there's a special significance to, to fatherly words, to fatherly blessings. And I think, you know, I want to give space, like we can resist that, you can disagree with that statement in the name of, you know, gender equality or, or whatever, but I think we, we would deny, deny that reality to our own peril and the peril of our children. Uh, to be clear, men and women are equal, uh, but as image bearers of God and access to the Father as beloved children saved by grace through Jesus' work on the cross, but also men and women are very different. Can I get an amen? amen. Boy, boys and girls are different. <laughs> And so, ladies, I'm not saying your words aren't important or anything like that. I'm just saying that dad's words have a very distinct power that I think stems from God's design for how human life uh, is meant to be lived, for human reality. Um, 
And, and so we're going to kind of go through Jesus's uh, blessing that he got from his father and look at kind of God's example for a fatherly blessing and kind of draw some principles for it. And as we do this, fathers, uh, just know that uh, you probably have messed up before this and you'll probably mess up again. And it's all, all good by grace. And also as you're listening and maybe you're not a father or you're not a, not a man, um, you probably had a father if you're here if, and you, you're breathing and, and alive. And so you can consider, in what ways did my dad do this for me? What, what ways did my dad participate in some of the work of God and how he spoke to me? Uh, and you can thank him. Call him today and thank him for that. Uh, and, and then you, things might come to mind like, I didn't have any of that, you know, and, and that might bring up some pain. Uh, and it's, it's, okay to, it's okay to hurt. And, uh, and I think the, the process of forgiving our fathers is one that we either do and become healthy and mature or don't do and kind of stay stunted for our lives. So um, I, it, this could be an invitation to kind of explore some of that. And I'll also say as we consider the role of fathers uh, is that this is very sensitive. And if you just feel a lot of like recoiling or just like, my dad was fine, everything's fine, I don't want to talk about it, like that is okay. Like no one is making you uh, do this. No one's making you explore this. Like if you need to, you know, just check out or whatever, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, but I, I do hope you, you'll be open to it and consider what God, your father, might be inviting you to, to explore as you, as you, uh, as you consider your, your earthly father. So I feel like to some degree our culture uh, has, has this kind of posture towards fatherhood that we kind of like chuckle at or, or even like celebrate. That's this like stoic, gruff, you know, aloof dad that just like, you know, dips our pacifier in whiskey and, you know, sticks it in our mouth or whatever. I feel like Johnny Cash's song, A Boy Named Sue, captures it. Anybody know that song, A Boy Named Sue? Yeah, I love Johnny Cash. There's going to be a lot of Johnny Cash in this sermon. Um, a Boy Named Sue is a, is a song he wrote early in his career, and it goes something like this. My daddy left home when I was three. He didn't leave much to ma and me, just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now, I don't blame him because he, he run and hid, but the meanest thing he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. The song goes on to describe how the kid singing the song becomes hard and mean, traveling the world because he wouldn't stay in any one place, picking a fight with anybody who would make fun of him. And then he finally finds his dad, and it says, He went for his gun, and I pulled mine first. He stood there looking at me, and I saw him smile. He said, Son, this world is rough, and if a man's going to make it, he's got to be tough. And I knew I wouldn't be there to help you along, so I gave you that name, and I said goodbye. I knew you'd have to get tough or die. It's the name that helped make you strong. And it's like, you know, ha-ha, we chuckle. And it is just, you know, Johnny Cash isn't trying to educate fathers. He's just singing a song. Um, but it's like the point of raising kids is just to make them like hard as nails or just to like make them independent so they don't like ever need anyone or, or anything. Uh, and then we see without his fatherly blessing, in some ways the name being a curse, we see this guy wandering, not finding a home, not finding a place to belong, not knowing what his role is in life. Like without his father, father's blessing, he becomes hard and unsettled. Dads, our words carry glorious God-given powers over our children's lives to influence our children's lives. It's not arbitrary. It's not just some you know, small deal, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt me. That's just a lie. This is not true. No, not, scripture doesn't say that. Any human development, psychology doesn't say that. Uh, it's just not true. Our words have huge impact. Because one of the realities of humanity is that uh, we're born pretty helpless. Like we, we're just really bad at living as humans when we're born. We don't know how to do much. And so, so much of our identity comes through our relationships. 
One of my mentors says we're made for relationships and by relationships. We're, we're shaped by our relationships. No kid is born into the world with a fully formed self. He looks to his parents, uh, to the people around him, and, and, and I think primarily his father as a way to make it in the world. If you study human development, there's this point in a, per, in a person's life where they kind of leave kind of the, the focus on the, the motherly cocoon or like the, the nurturing relationship, not completely or anything, uh, but they begin to look away from mom and, and look to the world and, and, and look to dad to figure out how do I make it in the world. Looking to a father figure who will show them how to live. They start asking questions. How? How do I handle this? How do I navigate these situations? How, what emotional response is normal in this kind of situation? All these little things. Of course, no kids are actually like maybe saying that verbatim, but these are the questions that, that get answers. And then they, they ask even more bigger personal questions. Can I do it? Like, will, will I have enough? Am I safe? Does anyone care about me and what I think and say? These are huge questions. And we're going to dive into Jesus' blessing here from God the Father. And I want us to see how just within this short, simple blessing from God to his, to his only begotten Son, it speaks to some of these core questions. Look in verse 17. He says, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The first thing we see is that Jesus is getting a blessing of, of affirmation and security from his father. Jesus comes up out of the water and he hears his father say, you are mine. You belong to me. You belong with me. Here is my spirit. Here is my presence. I see you and I claim you. Do you see the directness of this? That, that Jesus receives his father's gaze and he says, you are my son. You are mine. He's standing confirmed. I think one of the main questions that that all humans ask, especially kids, and some of us never get it answered, and we spend our whole lives trying to answer it, is, 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 is where do I belong? Like, where am I safe? Where is, where is stability? We're looking for this stabilizing identity. Dads, it's our unique responsibility and privilege to look at our children and say, you are mine. You are my son. You are my precious little girl. You belong with me, and I am with you, not just in body, but in spirit. You aren't a tag-along, you aren't an accident, you aren't a complication, you aren't an inconvenience, you aren't just an expense in the budget, you are mine. So it's a question that we can sit with, dads, is do our words, our actions, our, our, our pace of life, do, what do they communicate to our children? Do they communicate that they're safe with you? Not necessarily that you, know, you keep them away from all danger or risk or something, like put them in a bubble suit, just that with you they can let their guard down, that they belong, that they're safe. There's a quote from a, a counselor who's grappling with his own experience with his father. He says, uh, boys without fathers or boys, boys with fathers who for whatever reason kept their love undisclosed begin life without a center of gravity. They float like astronauts in space hoping to find a ballast, a patch of earth where they can plant their feet and make a life. Think about the boy named Sue. He's going from bar to bar looking for his dad, having drinks, playing his guitar. When I was 13, uh, my dad was meeting a college buddy for, for dinner after work uh, one night, and he called my mom and asked her to uh, drop me off at the restaurant so that I could eat dinner with them. 
uh, and you know, I was, I was like 13, like it was summertime, like all I was doing was like playing soccer and mowing lawns. Like it wasn't that impressive of a human at this point. But it was, it just was like deeply ingrained in me. Like my dad wanted to show me off. Like my dad wanted to claim me in front of his college buddy. And you know, they were both uh, in med school or doctors or something. And so, you know, of course they had lots of like stuff I couldn't contribute to, you know, the, talking about their, their grown up stuff. Uh, but they made an effort, my dad made an effort to bring me into the conversation and, um, and, he, and because he wanted me there. Uh, little things like that, where he was with me, he wanted me with him, uh, he, he affirmed me publicly in front of one of his friends. The next part of this blessing is uh, my, whom I love. This is my son, whom I love. And the longer I'm a pastor, the more I'm, I'm beginning to see that, that we are all out to answer this question, am I lovable? Am I lovable? I think we lose that language. I'm not saying we're explicitly saying that, but I think so much of our, our life, our choices, uh, the decisions we make are trying to answer this question, am I lovable? Am I valuable and because we can see all these all the strategies that humans have they're like so cliche anymore like the workaholic you know who is just getting a, a ton done or trying to get lots of money the guy who's like so smooth at dropping his like annual salary into a conversation or um you know talking about how he hasn't taken a vac you know vacation since 1989 or something like that and uh, or all the time we spend like buying different things creating an image to make us feel valuable or spending a ton of time on our bodies and, you know, in the gym and the tanning and stuff like that. And even more sad or tragic is uh, I went to a college where there was a, uh, a, a pretty large, I don't know if it's in reality or just perception, a large uh, demographic of women from, girls from wealthy families who had, you know, fancy cars and all these, you know, free tuition and whatnot. Uh, but had daddy issues, and so were incredibly promiscuous. It was like a, like a common joke around campus. It's like the rich girls with daddy issues who have everything but their father's love, and so they look to any guy who will give them attention to deal with their daddy wounds. I read a while ago that the, the percentage of women in, working in strip clubs who have been abused by their fathers or father figures uh, is like in the 90s, like the 90%. Like, that, that, that is like a response to deep tragedy in this, this hole uh, of, from a father figure uh, of saying like, not only am I not loved or valuable, but I am a, a good to be consumed. And you see them living out. And then maybe the, the other coping strategy, if you're not trying to validate yourself with, with work or fitness or whatever, uh, relationships, maybe it's just like the checking out, you know, that like kind of failure to launch paradigm. Uh, or the, the, the addictions to drugs or alcohol or just checking out in video games or food. You know, all these th things come from the, the question of am I lovable and either getting no answer or getting a negative answer. But Jesus comes up out of the water not having preached any sermons or done any miracles and his father says, I love you publicly. I, I see you. I love you. You're lovable intrinsically, not for what you do, not for how you behave, not because of well, uh, but because of who you are. And this is just that staggering of reality that I think, uh, oh, at least for the first few weeks, uh, most parents just, uh, parenthood shows us. Like when, when Ruby was born at the beginning of May, and I got to catch her, uh, which was pretty exciting, and her head came out first, praise God, and then we were just waiting for the next push, and my hands are there, and the next push comes, and she, the rest of her comes out, and I like can't not talk right like she she's literally fresh you know fresh 
into the world. And I'm just, oh, oh my God, my, my girl, like just receiving her. I, I, I could not just like exclaim the value of seeing her come into the world, having done, having done nothing other than just make Camille's back hurt for 10 months or whatever. It, God has wired the human experience. That just like intrinsic delight that swells up in you as, as a parent is, uh, is there on purpose. To, to show us how God feels about us, period, before we do anything. Before, it, w- the Bible talks about when we become Christians, we're born again. That same idea of like we're, we're made new by the power of the Spirit. We're regenerated, and then God delights in us as his children. Ruby was born, and I was consumed by love because she is, by, just by her mere existence. Fathers, it's our unique and profound privilege to affirm our children's lovableness for the rest of their lives, as long as we're around, with our words and also with our actions. Another quote uh, from a book on fatherhood says, uh, the grace of God means something like this. Here's your life. You might have never been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Fathers, this is the message that our, our, we can communicate to our kids. The party wouldn't have been complete without you. That like paradigm where you're like kidless, you know, dual income, you know, living the dream, and you're like, why would we ever want to change this? And then the kid comes along, and you're not sleeping, and everything's really hard, and you're like, what even did we do before we had kids? Like this is our new normal. This is all that we have wanted. We bless our kids. And we speak our love over them, and then we live out our love with them in real life with the hopes that when they grow up and, Lord willing, hear the message that God loves them, that they're intrinsically valuable, and that God sent his son to die for them, that won't, that won't be a foreign concept. That won't be a foreign language. When they hear there's a father, a true good father who loves me and laid down his life for me, it will make sense because of the, the relational framework that we as human fathers laid in our children. And I, and I want to just point out practically, one of the ways we bless our kids, even very young kids, like before they, they can talk, is we give them categories for receiving God's love. Like that's why kids are born with a body, you know? Like, like to what degree can you articulate, you know, logically how you love them or what you would do for them? Not very much. They, like Ruby just doesn't understand a lot of English at this point. With this part of the blessing, words must be accompanied by action. Like if you're blessing your kids with your love, it must be accompanied by action. You see this in Jesus' blessing. The, the Spirit descends on him. The presence of the Father comes to Jesus like a dove. It wasn't love from a distance. It wasn't like a postcard. Like God came and to be with him. Early on in life, kids receive their lovableness through presence. How, what you are like with them in your presence Words and, and words, I think, become more important as they age. There was a guy uh, I knew who, who confessed to me one time, and this was just like such a sweet moment. He confessed to me that he was terrible at being present with his kids. Like he was a doer, he loved getting stuff done, and he was also just stuck it up, up in his head, kind of running around in circles. And he, it was just a beautiful moment of self-awareness where he's just like, yeah, I just, I, I'll be out playing with my kids, and I'm just like miles away. I like, com- like completely space on them. And I affirmed the heck out of that self-awareness. Like, self-awareness is a gift. Uh, self-awareness is like 70% of the work. If you want to see a change in your life, step one is just become aware of the issue. 
But it, I was like, what do you think you should do about that? And his, his solution was like, when I catch myself spacing, I'm gonna think, uh, I'm gonna think about praising God. I'm gonna think a thought about God. Uh, and you know, I'm a fan of praising God, full support of having those thoughts. Uh, but if you're spacing on your kids, stuck up on your, up in your head, having a different kind of thought in your head doesn't seem like you know it's going to be the engaging kind of experience that you want. Uh, so I said, what if you picked your kids up and gave them a hug or a piggyback ride or got on your knees and drew you know with chalk on the sidewalk with them or something? And he just kind of like like that's not very. He thought I was joking because it wasn't very spiritual. Clearly, praising God is always the 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 right answer. But a, a year or so later, that guy called me and said told me this story about. Uh, one of his daughters having a, a meltdown, his elementary school-aged daughters having a meltdown, just waves of emotion. And he said, you know, in the past I would have come down with the, you know, real strict and said, you know, you, you can't do that. You go to your room until you settle down, young lady, or whatever. And for whatever reason this time, I pulled her into my lap. And I wrapped my arms around her. I let her, emo- I let her have her emotions. I said I was with you. And then I just felt myself uh, apologizing for all the times that I'd spaced on her, for all the ways that I have hurt her and failed her as a father. And I told her that there's a true father who loves her perfectly and is always with her. Do you see the blessing in that, the lovableness in that? That as a human father, you can enter into your children and they're in all the the confusion of, of growing up and say, I'm here, I'm with you, it's okay. And the freedom in that to, to point to God's perfect love, that our love is never perfect, but we can always confess our imperfections because it's an opportunity to point to God's perfections. That's fatherly blessing that says that I see you and I'm with you, I love you, your emotions are valuable, you're worth the time for me to stop what I'm doing and be with you. Lastly, the blessing for Jesus is, I am pleased with you. With him, I am well pleased. This answers the question, how am I doing? Am I doing a good job? Here's the thing about kids. They don't know how to do anything. It's like staggering how bad they are at life. Um, but what, what, are they, what are they always doing? They're saying like, hey, look at me. Watch this. Look what I did. Their little eyes are always searching out your eyes, dads, looking for connection. Do you see me? Am I doing a good job? This is the blessing of significance and validation. That dads, we have the privilege and uh, to to put the importance, the the worth uh, uh, that God has for our kids on on them. I'm pleased with you. Speaks to their efforts, to their growth. I see you. I see what you're doing, and I'm proud of you. One of the scary realities, dads, is that as we speak of our kids, so they will see themselves. The kids are always trying to figure out, like, how do, how, where do I stand? How, how am I doing? And so if we do the, like, you know, cynical parenting jokes, you know, of, like, Susie's a little terror, or, you know, she's just, like, such a handful, or... You know, whatever the, the cynical jokes that, that parents can make about their kids, those can seep deep inside of kids. Are they coming out of, out of the relationship with you, out of your home, thinking like, oh, I'm bad and people put up with me? <laughs> or, or that I'm delighted in? Kids will literally borrow confidence from their fathers. 
like their, their confidence to go out into the world, to learn things, to try things. This means not that we do everything for them. This is the, the fatherly role of equipping and affirming their ability to make it in the world. And often that comes from saying no to them. No, I'm not going to do that for you because you can do it. Like Johnny gets in his cozy coop, his little red car, and scoots around the yard. He's good at getting into it, not good at getting out of it. And so when he's done playing, he'll just start go, you know, fussing. Uh, uh, uh. And I say, I see you, buddy, and you can do it. You can get out. Just open the door and move your legs. You can do it. And, of course, I've helped him a few times or whatever, but, like, there's that aspect of, like, I'm with you. I see you. You can do it. Dads hold the key to the vault of confidence. We can, we can unlock it and be generous with it. Affirm efforts. Well, I can tell you worked really hard at that drawing. You ever wonder what to say when your kid gives you just a bunch of scribbles that are unintelligible? Like, wow, you worked really hard. Good, good work at, at drawing. Well, you stayed in the lines in that one tiny little spot. Like, you know, you, you, can, you can affirm the, the efforts. I see, or even just state back to them what they're doing. Like, I see you climbing. Look at you climb. I see you going down the slide. I'm proud of you for trying that dance move. Let's not do that one again. You know? <laughs> if we see the father blessing Jesus, it shows, shows him how we as earthly fathers have this incredible, supernatural privilege of joining God and blessing our kids, answering these key questions. Uh, do I belong? Am I lovable? How am I doing? We see that see Jesus Jesus get these answered questions. Where do I belong? God says, with me, you're my son. Am I lovable? Yes, I love you. Your very existence, period, before you do anything, is a gift to me. How am I doing? You're doing a good job. I'm pleased with you in your attempts to be a human. And so I just want to end with uh, three pro tips, just three kind of essential things we see from this that I think are really encouraging. One is simple. Keep it simple. Like, if you want to join God in this work uh, of blessing your kids, notice how unbelievably short and simple God's words are here. Like, this is God who invented language, right? Like, he knows all of them all the time. And his words are so short and so simple. And most of them are just, like, you know, facts. Like, they're just like, you you are my son. That's a fact. We don't have to be fancy or profound. You don't have to be unique or say it different every time or you know, write a song or make a YouTube video or whatever. Just keep it simple and just say what is true. This is how the God of the universe spoke over his only begotten son. The last pro tip is to slow down. I'm beginning to, I'm developing a theory that hurry is literally the cause of pretty much all our problems. Uh, Most dads, you know, I don't think we're thinking like, I'd really like to mess up my kids. I'd like to really withhold love and blessing from my children that that's that's my goal typically it just comes out withheld because we're too busy we're overworking or we're playing with our stuff or buying things or trying to fix things or we're just or we're just checked out when we're home right because we work at work and then we just home is just for vegging so 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 much of being able to bless comes from just having space to be with your kids to see them and to to affirm them one of the most surprising things for me, be, becoming a dad, was how like contemplative and meditative being a dad seemed to be. Like, at the pace that I like to do life, you know, it's like I want to like have you know a book and a podcast and like you know on an exercise bike or something while like giving Johnny a bath or something like that. And and to like just 
you know, stop and be there with Johnny as he's taking a bath, one, has become just like a delight of my day. And two, is like, it feels like this deep like stillness. Like a, I had to adjust to that level of stillness to just be with my son, to be able to look him in the eyes when he looks up. So I, just having that space to, to just be there. And the last thing is to do stuff with your kids. If you just want like three simple things, one, keep it simple, two, slow down, and three, do stuff with your kids. Teach them how to do things, take them with you when you go places. I was talking to a friend the other week about, about how the act of teaching a boy to use a weed whacker and how that simple kind of tedious act uh, captures so much blessing in it, so much of the blessing from, from just doing this simple act. You're saying, you belong with me in doing yard work. This is our yard, you're, part of, you're my son, and we're, we're gonna do this work together. You're saying, I value you, I love you enough to contribute to your growth, to take time to teach you how to do this thing. I value you more than the yard because you're probably gonna be bad at weed whacking the first time you do it. So it's, our yard's not gonna look great. And you, you are more important, your development is more important than it being done perfectly. And I'm saying that you're doing a good job being a human. I'm going to entrust you with this gas-powered, you know, whip thing that, you know, that you could really do some damage with. Like, I'm proud of you. You're, you're doing a good job. Let me teach you another, another skill. I believe you can handle this new chore. So we, we speak simply, we slow down, and we just do stuff with our kids. Now to all of us... Um, even, even though that was just to dads, I hope you're, you're, you've been thinking of your own dad and you, uh, you know, by God's grace you have some things to call him and thank him for uh, this afternoon and uh, get, appreciate. Because uh, dads can show us the character of God even if they're not Christians. Like Jesus says, like, if you, you dads who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father. But also because our dads fell short because they weren't God, or, or maybe you didn't have a dad at all who was, wasn't around. Um, or God help us, maybe uh, some of our dads were abusive, or maybe they were just angry as like being on you know, eggshells to be around them, or maybe they're even violent, or just was never satisfied. It's worth asking the question, how, how much are we living out of that missing blessing? Well, all of us have some part of our blessing that's missing, and what can we do with it? Well, the good news is that we have a perfect heavenly father. Flip over to John 1. This is where we'll end our time today. John 1, verse uh, 12. Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. In Christ, God sees you and says you're mine, that you've been born again in Christ. He sees to your uttermost depths your greatest flaws, and he says, you're, you're mine, you belong with me. He longs for you to come home, not to judge or condemn you. In Christ, God says, I love you enough to die for you. The desire uh, for you to be adopted into my family was enough uh, to shed the blood of Jesus. The verse we read uh, in our liturgy, Zephaniah 3, says that he exalts over you with loud singing. In Christ, God looks at us the same way he looks at Jesus. He is 
well pleased. You're doing a good job when we're found in Christ. Because the cross of Christ, the blood shed for our sin, we're dressed in Jesus' righteousness. Now, one thing I love about Johnny Cash is that he made a lot of albums as an old man. Highly recommend the, the American recordings. There's like six of them or something. Best on vinyl, of course, you know, because I'm a hipster, but... You can see him writing this song about a boy named Sue in his wild young days, and then uh, as an old man with his gravelly voice, he did a cover of the Simon and Garfunkel song, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Consider the difference between this song and a boy named Sue. When When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side when times get rough and friends just can't be found. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. This is a picture, this is a picture of redeemed fatherhood, that our, our father uh, in Jesus laid his life down for us. It doesn't tell us to get hard and mean like a boy named Sue. Uh, he says, when you're weary and small, come to me. <coughs> I'll be with you, and I'll lay down my life for you. In Christ, God becomes our true Father. This blessing spoken to Jesus, Christian, is spoken over you because of no matter what kind of dad we had or what kind of dad we did not have, God adopts us into our family. And one of the ways you can understand the, the journey of being a Christian or sanctification, if you want the theological term, is being reparented into God's family. We've been adopted into God's family. Now we need to learn how to live in the new family dynamic, not one of fear or guilt or shame, uh, but one of delight and grace and love. If you're a follower of Jesus, the God of the universe looks on you with delight and validation. He laid down his life for you so that he could have a relationship with you forever. And that's the good news of Jesus. Let me pray.